Welcome to the Queen of Hearts podcast. And here's the queen herself, registered dietitian Heather Klug. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Queen of Hearts podcast. This is Bethany Jabrew Adams. I'm the health communications coordinator at the Karen Yant Center, and I am taking over hosting duties today because we're going to be talking about a topic that our queen has quite a bit of experience in, and that is nutrition and dietetics. So hi, Heather. Thank you for being in the hot seat today. Oh, well, thanks for having (laughs) me on, Bethany. On your own podcast. I know, it's so generous of me. (laughs) So um, because of events happening right now here in Wisconsin and the rest of the country, many conversations are being held about how race impacts various areas of life. And in the course of what I do for a living, which Mm -hmm. is handle the social media for the Karen Yacht Center, I came across an article on NBC News, and it was all about how race is affecting nutrition, everything from the number of people of color in the nutrition field to how dietitians talk about nutrition with their patients. Mm -hmm. And so since we're focused on heart health education and a big component to maintaining heart health is nutrition, we wanted to have a conversation about this or at least start a conversation about this and, you know, the racial disparities that we see kind of in the health and wellness space in general and nutrition specifically. And this is obviously a very complex issue. We're, yeah. we're well aware of that. We certainly won't be able to address everything there is to the issue in just this one episode or we'd be here, you know, forever. But we'd like to start a conversation and hopefully grow it and go deeper into it in future episodes. And just saying that we're we're trying to be as respectful as we can because neither Heather nor myself are people of color. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're hoping we're using the right terminology um, if we do not, please reach out to us and let us know what people prefer to be addressed as. So are you ready, Heather? I sure am. Let's dive in. (laughs) Okay. So just to start out, can you give us a little bit um, about your history? Like where did you go to school to become a dietitian and what was your experience like? Yeah, so I went to school in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which is on the western side of Wisconsin. It kind of borders Minnesota. And I went to a place called Viterbo University, and it was a small private college. And that's where I majored in in community and medical dietetics. I did what's called a coordinated undergraduate program, which means you do all your uh, classes, your coursework, and your clinical rotations at the same time, right? So you're getting it all done at once. Other dietetics programs might do it differently, where you go to college for four years, you do all your classwork, and then you apply to different internships, where maybe you're going to a different part of the country. Sure. Yeah, with ours, we were able to to do rotations in a lot of different areas, which is kind of nice because you get to see what it is you maybe would like to do as a dietitian and maybe certain areas where you know you don't want to work. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I did, I mean, um, I should add that lacrosse is a very, um, it's smaller than where I grew up, right? I grew up near the city of Milwaukee in a suburb. And I don't remember at the time, maybe it's around 50, 55,000 
thousand people mm-hmm. in all of Lacrosse, so smaller than where <laughs> yeah. I came from. That's like the size of the suburb I grew up in. Sure. Um, and I don't know the exact statistics, but I do know it's predominantly Caucasian. Yeah. At the time I went to school there, you know, there were quite a few people from the Hmong community that okay. lived there, and then maybe a small percentage too of African American or Black people as well, mostly going to school there. I would say. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's it's interesting that you mentioned that because a recent study came out that found that less than 3% of registered dietitians in America are black Mm -hmm. and over 80% of them are white Yeah, and most of them are women. (laughs) Yeah. I knew the majority was, you know, white or Caucasian. I didn't think it was going to be that high, to be honest. Yeah, it is a little surprising. It's a little surprising to me because I feel like the field, the dietetics profession is becoming more culturally diverse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why do you think there is this this large discrepancy in numbers that we see right now. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of different pieces that go into how many people are in any given profession. But historically, Black, Indigenous, people of color were not allowed to practice or attain the level of educated needed to be a registered dietitian or anything in the medical field. Yeah. So that's left a leg that we are still hoping to recover from decades later. Sure. And entrance into programs for clinical nutrition are comparable in many ways to get getting into medical school. It's really almost like a pre-med degree when oh, you yeah. think about it. You're taking pretty high level, you know, courses. I mean, we, you know, we had to take organic chemistry and biochemistry okay. and, you know, you had a five credit course in anatomy and physiology. <laughs> it's just, you know, it, it, there's a lot, right? Yeah. And this means that depending where you go to school from elementary through high school, yeah. the quality of your education is likely going to affect your ability to get into college and therefore what major you decide to take up. Sure. So if you are going to an underfunded public school and your classroom is crowded and you don't have the best resources, you have a lot of obstacles or barriers in your way. Sure. And that might stop you from maybe going into a certain field. Right. right? And then once you get into college, there's the expense. Yeah. We all deal with that period, I think. I mean, I didn't come from a wealthy family. Mm-hmm. I still had to work through college, but I did get help from my parents, and not everybody has that, you right? Know? Um, you know, you get a four-year undergraduate degree, and then you get out of college, and now you got to start paying off loans if you got those. And often, I mean, we get paid okay as dietitians starting out, but mm-hmm. we're not starting out at you know thirty, forty bucks an hour, right. right? So you know, to have to start paying back those loans gets you know kind of expensive, and then. And there's one more thing I guess I'd like to add to that because with the dietetics profession, they are changing the standards a little bit. Okay. So as it is right now, to practice as a dietitian, so you do your coursework, right? Mm -hmm. And you graduate with your degree. You do have to pass a national exam and it's hard. Not everybody passes (laughs) the first or even second time through. And then you get your RD credentials. Within the profession, that's going to be changing in the year 2024. For, okay. And that you're going to need a master's degree before you can practice as a registered oh, wow. dietitian. So you need probably a national 
at least an extra two years, maybe yeah, three. I don't know how long it would take to go through a master's degree program. Whew. I'm sure it depends on which degree you go for. But sure. yeah, you're talking even more years of college now before you can start practicing. I mean, I think it's good overall because it right. means, hey, we're going to have really qualified dietitians out there. Yeah. But that is, I can see maybe a stumbling block for people sure. into maybe going into the profession. Yeah. And I mean, that you've mentioned a lot of barriers. So I I don't think most people consider all of that when looking at who makes up the population of a given profession, like you said. So let's say that as a black or indigenous person of color, you've overcome any and all obstacles, okay? So you've Mm -hmm. overcome everything like you just mentioned, if those are the obstacles you're facing, and you're now a registered dietitian. So what are the models that you've learned in your schooling that you're taking into the community that might be kind of contributing to these racially biased ideas of nutrition and kind of allowing them to continue. Yeah. Dietitians are educated mostly on things like biochemical pathways of nutrients and evidence-based patterns, right? That sure. support health. Back when I was going to school, I would say there wasn't as much taught on maybe, you know, diversity within different cultures and what sure. they eat and maybe why they eat a certain way. Mm -hmm. or maybe even on how to effectively counsel or educate people from various cultures. Maybe I'm just not remembering things correctly. That was like, (laughs) what, almost 25 years ago now for me? (laughs) Can't believe, yeah. Can't believe it was that long ago. I do remember that we had as part of one of our classes, so just a section of it, we were broken into small groups and we were, um, you know, we had to research a culture and then we had to prepare foods from that culture and then share that with the rest of the class and that was really I really like that I love learning about different cultures Mm -hmm. we had one of my classmates who was um part Korean and you know she talked about kimchi and how that was made and I'd never heard of kimchi never tried it before (laughs) it was too spicy for me but it was really cool kind of learning about that but that has changed Definitely over time. So I think that's one good thing that's maybe happening is that people who go for a dietetics degree now, they're getting whole semester long classes and things like this, right? Whereas ours was a small section. They have a whole class on cultural diversity. They have another whole class on like foods and nutrition of world cultures, right? I think those things are helpful, right? Right. Yeah. but, but I do think that that has been an issue for quite a while in that that wasn't always a major component, maybe, of dietetics programs. Sure. So before these classes, it was kind of like if you didn't already have a comfort level with a different culture and their traditions, mm-hmm. you might not know how to effectively include them in a nutritional intervention that you would do with a patient or a client. So yeah. I could see how that would be like a vicious cycle until you end up with a really narrow view of what healthy nutrition actually is. Yeah, exactly. If you look at healthy eating from a cultural standpoint, it will look different depending on the cultural foods that make up a traditional diet for that group. But in this country, there's a very narrow view of healthy eating. Yeah. You know, know. like I think people see um, images or they think of stuff like 
oh, I have to eat salads or avocado toast <laughs> or green smoothies. And those are great things to eat, but that's not sure. the only way to eat healthy, yeah. right? Yeah, like there's, I think there's deeper issues. I think like what you're kind of touching on is what a lot of us would call the influencer model of healthy eating mm-hmm. or the influencer model of wellness where in this country we've propagated an ideal of healthy as looking very specific. It's it's white, it's cisgendered, it's able-bodied, it's a thin person, and it's a difficult ideal for many people to attain. But if you add in the fact that the person doesn't look like you in a fundamental way, right. such as your skin tone or hair type, it makes it even more, I don't know, insurmountable, right? Mm-hmm. We hear about representation a lot, and it's it's true that our models of health need to represent more different types of people. Right. Like even just speaking to the able-bodied idea, you know, look at Paralympians and Special Olympians mm-hmm. who, you know, their bodies might not work the same way or, you know, that kind of a thing, but they're very healthy. Yeah, and they're fit strong and, and healthy. Exactly. Yeah. So it's easy to see how this American ideal and in a lot of parts of the world, it's not the most inclusive. Yeah. Definitely. We also need to recognize that cultural foods tend to be demonized when, in fact, many of them are actually quite healthy. Yeah. I mean, every culture has foods that aren't healthy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Welcome to America. Yeah. That's obvious. But for every unhealthy food, there are healthier options. We need to see that and learn what they are and have a conversation with people about what it is they are actually eating in their home, how much they're eating, and Mm -hmm. not rely on what we tend to to assume they eat. Right. I mean, that's something I always try to do with people. I hope people get that too. I think most dietitians, if you're a good dietitian, yeah. you're going to sit down and you're really going to get to know that person and what they eat, what's a part of their culture, what's important to them. And then you're going to ask them about their goals and figure out a best way to help them achieve that, right? Rather sure. than working off stereotypes. It's always a bad idea when we <laughs> tend to just assume that because you're somebody from a certain culture or certain skin color that you eat certain things. Right. And, you know, what you're saying here, what I'm hearing is that food and culture are connected and we need to respect that and honor that, Mm -hmm. not use it as a, you know, like narrow definition of what they do eat, but we need to use it to expand this idea of healthy foods. Yes. It's exactly what I was trying to say, Bethany. <laughs> you, you said it in a much more coherent way. Thank you. That doesn't always happen. <laughs> and while we're at it, we need to see black indigenous people of culture eating healthy, culturally traditional foods. Mm-hmm. The way we've set up our model for healthy eating has made it seem inaccessible for many people. Mm -hmm. But the more images we can see of all different people eating healthy foods that are part of their culture, we will see that there are many different faces and bodies that represent health. Definitely. And that makes so much sense because seeing diverse representation in the health and wellness space is essential. And just knowing that, you know, I have to choose images for things like brochures and flyers and our social media. And, you know, even going through like stock photography to find some of these images, 
it's hard yeah. to find diverse images, you know, and if they're hard to find, then I can't use them. Yeah. And if I can't use them, now I'm part of this cycle that's perpetuating this ideal that isn't, you know, it's not inclusive at all, mm-hmm. unless you are a very, very specific type of person. So are there other things that you think need to be considered when talking about this topic? Oh, there sure are, Bethany. <laughs> One of the main traps that many people in healthcare fall into is the blame game, mm, where yeah. we see a black indigenous person of color and we blame them for the conditions they are suffering from whether it's obesity or diabetes or hypertension right we see these blanket statistics and our tendency is to think that just because someone is black or latinx or native american they are doomed to a higher rate of obesity or whatever based on their skin color right but that's not it many of the outcomes they face are linked to social determinants okay So I don't know if everybody out there is familiar with the idea of social determinants of health. Can you kind of talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, good health doesn't exist in a vacuum. And healthy nutrition is a component of good health, but it's more than just finding, choosing, and eating healthy food. I wish it was just that easy. Right. right? Like If it were. (laughs) We all know we're supposed to eat fruits and vegetables, right, every day. But do you live in a neighborhood that is safe and has things like green space and sidewalks where you can safely walk and stay active? Mm -hmm. How available and accessible are full-service grocery stores in your area because those are the places where you're going to find healthy, reasonably priced foods. If I can just share an example of that, because this one is a big one for me and it's... um, you know, with one of my jobs, this was something that really opened up my eyes to it. So again, I went to school in La Crosse on the other side of the state. And then when I came back, I got a job with the Women, Infants, and Children program. So mm-hmm. I worked in the city of Milwaukee at like three different sites. So I worked with moms of like babies and little kids. So you're talking to them about eating healthy if they mm-hmm. haven't been doing that. So you're mentioning these things, you know, they sound easy. Yeah, you need to, you know, can you feed your kids more healthy fruits? You know, feed them more. Why aren't you feeding them fruits and vegetables? I wouldn't phrase it like that. But, you know, you're trying to encourage them to eat healthier things. And they will say, well, yeah, that sounds great. But I have to take two or three different buses to get to a grocery store. You know, and I'd ask, well, where do you shop right now? And it's, you know, all they have are the corner stores, which Mm. I didn't even know about. Right. Like here I live 10 minutes away from where these people live. Uh And my community is so different, even though we're in the same county. Like, I can hop in my car. That was one thing I didn't think about either. Like, oh, a lot of people don't have cars. Right, You know, if you don't have a lot of money, you don't have money for a car. Or you don't have a place to put it. Right. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, you're right. Even sometimes just having enough storage to put some of these things. Or Or even cooking utensils to cook the food in. Those, you know, kind of things. But anyway... It opened up my eyes to this thing called, which we now call the food desert. Mm -hmm. I think that was coined sometime maybe in the 90s. But, you know, I don't think a lot of people are aware that 
most people who live in inner cities, they mostly shop at corner stores, which don't have great access to food. If they do have any fresh produce, it's usually rotten or moldy or just something you wouldn't want to buy. It's still expensive. Even the canned vegetables, canned fruits there, they don't have low sodium, no salt added versions. I mean, the variety is not there. And then you've got all these barriers in the way for them to even have access to healthy food. So here... You know, we go to that blame gate. Well, why aren't you eating more of these things? Right. And not understanding that there are these things, these, you know, parts of people's lives that make it super hard for them to do what they even want to do. Sure. And I think that kind of goes hand in hand, too, with access to health services and health screenings, which, you know, can lead to interventions at earlier times. So, you know, like if you have access to a primary care physician, for example, you can maybe see something as it's starting to fester, yeah. you know, like, yeah. oh, I see that your blood pressure has gone up the last couple times you've been here. What can we do to work on that? If you're not, if you don't have somebody in your community, if you don't have a community clinic or access to healthcare, or, you know, it just makes it that much more complicated as you move on in your in your life, you know, it's going to be a bigger problem that's going to be harder to tackle. Yeah. As opposed to something that you could start tackling before it becomes this big issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it goes beyond just suggesting a few different types of food for a person to eat. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we have conversations about health, we need to add the social issues that Black, Indigenous, people of culture face to that context, right? Otherwise, we are just making it seem as though just by, for example, being black you are going to have serious health issues right yeah when you sit back and really consider all of these things it really shines a light on how difficult it is to turn things around you know I mean it's not impossible Mm -hmm. but it's not as simple as flipping a switch yeah and I think it's hard because there's so many of us out here who want there to be a quick fix and these are when we talk about systemic problems these are problems that are built into to the very fabric of yeah. our American life. They're that deep. In, they're, they're deep. deep yes. <laughs> and in order to fix them well, mm-hmm. so we fix them permanently, we need to dig really deep. And it's like each layer leads to another layer. Yeah. You're really yeah. peeling the onion. And in order to fix things, you have to get to that root and start from there. So we see that being inclusive when it comes to talking about healthy eating goes far beyond, you know, suggesting a few different types types of food to a person based on their culture. There's a lot of things that are going to be in play. That's absolutely right. And hopefully by being able to draw these lines from what has historically happened in the healthy nutrition conversation to what still happens in nutrition today, more people will understand that we need to rework some very basic but very complex building blocks, even while we work on the things that seem more doable in the short term, like being more inclusive with images and information presented. For sure. Well, you know, like we said, we just scratched the surface today on this topic, but we hope in future podcasts to dig a little deeper into the issue and how it relates to Black and Indigenous people of color 
women and their respective heart health. So thank you, Heather, for really kind of sitting in an uncomfortable seat and <laughs> digging into some of these uncomfortable situations and giving us your dietitian expertise. Oh, you're very welcome, Bethany. Thank you for having me on today. Having you on your very yes, own podcast. Yes, thank you. <laughs> it's my pleasure. So if you like what you've been hearing on our podcast, um, make sure you subscribe so that you never, ever miss an episode. <laughs> and we, as we always say, ladies, be, be the, the ruler, ruler of your, your own heart. heart. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on the Queen of Hearts podcast. Our podcast is recorded here at the Karen Yance Women's Cardiac Awareness Center inside Aurora St. Luke's Medical Center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more heart-healthy tips, info, recipes, and more, visit our website at www.karenyancecenter.org, like us on Facebook at Karen Yance Center, and follow us on Pinterest. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our show and be sure to tell your friends. Until next time, ladies, be ruler of your own heart.